Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future one email-filled minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez slash the news because Nick Jimenez and the news doesn't fit on uh, Twitter as my name. Oh, have you tried? Uh, I haven't tried yet, but I will. So oh, I'm recording. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, we are back to deal with more credits in minute 114, which begins with credits and ends with credits. However, we're not going to talk about the credits this time uh, because we have emails to talk about. Yeah, those emails we've been asking for for the past like two goddamn months. Yeah. So we've we got some emails. Um, we're gonna we're gonna cover a few of those this time. So our first email comes from uh, David P. Uh, not going to give anyone's last name because most people didn't sign their emails. So, um, <laughs> so he asks, uh, so have we talked about the Marty that our Marty sees when he runs back to the Lone Pines Mall? The Marty he sees is one raised by a stable family. He was born with cool siblings and confident parents. Now Doc wants everything to go right exactly as planned, but in a way that's not his Marty. Also, he doesn't want to send that Marty back in time in fear he could mess things up. So does he program the DeLorean to blow up in transit? <laughs> the memory doesn't transfer to our Marty, so this really is a separate timeline, and Prime Doc is forever dead. Our Prime Marty is RPOV, and Beta Marty, uh, Beta Marty, like at the Lone Pines Mall, needs to not be in the picture. Marty. Right. So we got, so we got, so basically. Marty Prime. Marty Prime is our main character, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And when he comes to the Lone Pine Mall, there's another Marty there that was raised by the family. Right. Marty Beta, that that was raised by the family that we meet in, in alternate 1985. So, and, and then this doc is actually the doc from 1955 that Marty met. Yeah. But is not the doc that died in the previous 1985 because that doc never met Marty. Yeah, dead is dead. Right. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's confusing. Do we think? Do we think Doc blew up blew up the Delorean in transit? I mean, <laughs> that would be amazing I, if like if he's like, what's wrong? I just I did. You know, if I have to do something that you know is wrong, but <laughs> that'd be. Great. Can you imagine? Like that's an amazing scene. Like Beta Marty is like, oh, I'm gonna do. It. I'm gonna go back. What, Marty? <laughs> Very sorry. You know, it was like a bomb. I mean, that's the thing with that's the thing with time travel, though, right? Like, like it or this this style of time travel, because there's the time travel that's like, um, you know, like in the movie, The Butterfly Effect. Right. So like he goes back in time, he changes something and then comes back to an alternate future or alternate present. But then his brain gets like crazy cancer memories and then and then he remembers this new timeline all of a sudden it's been a while yeah um so so there's there's that version but that's not what this is and so i i assume that the way that this timeline works is it's just it's just an infinite number of of leapfrogging going on sure because there will um, always be that one extra marty that first dipped into the pond of time and space right Right, exactly. So I, I think that's what is going on. I think there's just it's just a constant leapfrog. So like Beta Marty goes back to nineteen fifty five crashes into old man Peabody's farm. Right. But does he then run over the second pine tree or does he just not hit a pine tree? Because this the this this is already Lone Pine Mall. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And and if he goes back in time, does he meet would he meet uh, Prime Marty? Yeah. Would he meet Prime George? <laughs> right. Or he, I don't know. Would he meet like improved? What if it's it's almost like each splash of paint against the wall of time and space, like introduces like, you know, you, if you ever splash paint against the wall, it's never a full arc. There's always going to be little flecks of paint that are like separate, right. and it's almost like those create fissures, and those fissures yeah. could be like. It's already one pine mall. You know, it's like a, a copy of a copy of a copy. It's always right. going to deteriorate the original more and more. Well, I think I think 
Oh man, that's really it's really difficult to figure out because the thing about it is like, okay, so this is Beta Marty going back to 1955. Sure. But the only way that Beta Marty exists is if Marty Prime is in 1955 to change things. Mm-hmm. So if Beta Marty goes back to 1955, then theoretically Prime Marty should be there doing things. But if that's the case, then where did Prime Marty come from? And how does Beta Marty affect Prime Marty's mission in 1955? And if that's Prime Marty, then how does that not affect our POV Marty? Sure. Or is that like Marty Prime Beta? Like it's like a different Prime sure. Marty. Well, we, we, well, we call Marty Marty Prime because he's the first one to travel back in time. There right. was at one point an original Marty list 1955 where George and Lorraine met because George was being a peeping Tom and then he got hit by uh, 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 She-Ra's car. Right. That that was the prime timeline. And yeah. then our Marty, the, the Marty Prime, the Marty that grew up free of time travel. Right. He, he was like the catalyst. He was the, he was the uh, you know, the phenomenon. The right. chaos theory. That he was like, I'm right. going to break my timeline and go back in time. Right. And infect a Marty-less timeline with with Marty. Right. It was the first Calvin Klein. Right. So that timeline is now populated with a Marty. Right. Okay. And so then he goes back to 1985 in the Lone Pine Hill Valley, so to speak. Right. And sees another Marty go back in time beta marty. beta marty so i guess the question is does beta marty occupy his own marty list version of 1955 no that's not a, that's not possible because there, there's no such thing that's true because he's in order he, in order for this version of 1985 to exist the lone pine version of 1985 there has to be a a marty who who pretends to be a kid named calvin klein and then affects George to get his parents together. Sure. That that has to happen in order for uh, 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 Beta Marty to exist. So You know what my problem is? I keep imagining this as like almost more of hopping into alternate universes than one timeline. Right. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. There, there, it there's is. two lines. There's two, there's two shelves. And the toys keep crossing back and forth. So there's got to be so then there's got to be in in Beta Marty's point of view he goes back in time and there's a Prime Marty in 1955 but it's not our Prime Marty it's Beta Prime Marty Beta Prime Marty okay And then and then when that when when Beta Marty comes back to to Soul Pine Mall or 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 whatever yeah. Zero Pine Mall no Pine Mall I don't know Pine Mall um what when he comes back uh, to that 1985 and sees Charlie Marty go back in time. That Marty then goes back in time to a 1955 that includes two previous Martys. Yeah. And I imagine it would just keep going like that. There'd be an infinite amount of Martys at some point down the line. Like whiskey Marty. Uh, yeah. There would be, there would be like, yeah, there would be like, you know, 27 Martys. And are they just in 1955? It would just, Eventually, it would just turn into chaos. Yeah, there would just be just Calvin Klein's everywhere, right? Um, but as we as we see, the timelines do not affect each other. Yeah, you can only affect one timeline at a time. So, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> well, you know, it almost you almost actually kind of, and it also it also makes it very confusing because you know, in the sequel, he goes back in time. Marty goes back to nineteen fifty five. And sees Beta Marty. But does he see Beta Marty or does he see himself from the first movie? What if he's seeing Beta Marty having the same adventure? Huh. But again, that doesn't make any sense. Unless, 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 because Prime Marty is the first person to do it, Mm -hmm. then what happens is every Marty after that point it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that's kind of more what it is. So it's like a tighter... Well, you know what the problem is? 
if only if 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 only okay i haven't seen two in a while because i'm saving myself for the show right Um, right does does future doc 2015 doc you know what i mean beta doc. not 2015 doc well beta doc there there is no 2015 doc he's dead in 2015 beta doc beta doc so the doc that is still alive because prime doc is dead beta doc right Beta Doc. Does Beta Doc go back to 1955 in the sequel? You, yeah, he does. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you don't. Yeah, yeah. He does. He does because he's in the 19, he's in 1955, and then he's the one that gets sent to the old west, and then Marty goes and finds 1955 Doc uh, immediately upon uh, uh, his the original movie self going back to 1985 because he like comes running around the corner right after yeah. doc celebrates yeah so so yeah so so the doc in the entirety of the trilogy of back to the future 2 uh the doc in back to the future 2 is beta doc but not the doc in back to the future part 3 yeah, the Bat One and Doc in Back to the Future Three starts with uh, 1955 Beta Doc, and then when he goes to 1885, that's uh, that's the Doc that gets sent there because of the uh, lightning bolt. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> so okay, well now that, that that kind of trumps my theory. Because that will at that point there were two docs in that timeline. Was there? Because the doc in 1955 is after sending Marty back, so that's still okay. that's doc that's beta doc. So at any point in any timeline, there is huh. only one version of you going around, right? Yeah. So it's well, yeah, yeah one one version like a version of you with one timeline going around yes yeah and you're just looping it's like one shoelace going through an infinite number of loops but it is the right. same shoelace so i think i think so you're right so i think it's the i think it's the universe is healing what marty did by going back in time by making it an infinite loop or whatever like making it yeah so that that marty goes back and becomes the other yeah. marty or Whatever. So it's just a, it, yeah. yeah. So as, so as long as the as long as the Martys stay on the you know the 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 conveyor belt of time, they'll never interact with one another because it'll just be a loop. Right. Yeah. The only time they would interact with each other is if the Marty from Marty of the same timeline crosses his own timeline. Yeah. Like like throws a rock at Marty's head or like. Right, like in like in back like at the end of Back to the Future and in Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time travel, man. It messes with your head. It really does. Um it's hard to keep track of because it all works in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um But uh yeah. Alright, well, that's our first that's our first email. <laughs> thanks thanks to David for really screwing us up. Um <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Haley, who says, um, let's see. Hey, guys, for your uh, mailbag episode. All right. She gives us compliments. Thank you very much. Um, won't, won't read that on the, on the air because it's a little too self-congratulatory. For you. Um, so, he, so she says, here's the can of worms. Do you think Marty is a flat character? Does he have any kind of arc in this movie, or is he just supposed to represent the point of view of the audience? So many times, I think you mentioned it in an episode, the dramatic irony that is the bread and butter of BTTF is something that both the audience and Marty are on the same side of. Every time Marty makes a silly comment, the audience knows what he means. See you later, much later, or dad, dad, daddy-o, or pretty much every time he interacts with his parents. Marty is very much on the outside of this movie. But at the same, but at the same time, not. So I guess uh, the question is, what is Marty's arc? Like, does he go through an arc, or is he kind of a flat character? And I think she means like flat, not in personality, but flat in that progress. 
yeah, progress. Like he's he's a he's a flat plane of a character. He he doesn't have an arc. So he changes the world. The world does not change him. Right, right. Um, ah, uh, I think he wanted a this... he wanted a four by four, and he got a four by four. Yeah, I mean, I think in Back to the Future, I think he definitely has a character arc in Back to the Future two and three. Um, it's it's still small. It's just the chicken thing. Well, I, but, I guess in part one he has the not being afraid to play in public, but he. But it's not. It's such a. I mean, I I don't even know that I'd call it. Uh, if anything, it'd be like a speed bump, but I wouldn't call it an arc, sure. because, because. Yeah, he plays in public, but he doesn't I hesitate. Sure. He he doesn't he never he never he never didn't want to play in public. That's true. That's true cuz he it wasn't that he was too shy or or meek. Right. He was just too li- it, he, if anything he just does the same thing again but this time it works. Right. Right. Actually it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, it works for a little while and then he and then he freaks out. He, and he, people he Marty's out again. Right, and then and then everybody sends him out of town with pitchforks. Man, Marty just needs he's a monster. Marty needs to go to like to a to like an early '80s like Bad Brains concert or like or like you know I, I feel like he's just he keeps not playing for the right crowd. Mm-hmm. Because Huey Lewis and a bunch of white '50s teenagers are kind of the same thing. Right. Right. They're both like, eh, stop, stop shredding so hard. And Marty's yeah. like, Satan! Yeah, she says she's just really interested in how Marty is so darn cool uh, when he doesn't actually do much in the movie that isn't undermined or isn't just a reaction to his surroundings. I think it's all you know? Michael J. Fox, to be honest. Cause... I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Because, look, you put Eric Stoltz in the role, and it's not interesting. Yeah, because like, no one ever says... Marty, you're cool. Like like George, Dave, Jennifer, they're never like, oh, cool guy Marty. Like, if any... But it seems like when he comes back, mm-hmm. it seems like he's now cool guy Marty, kind of. Yeah. You know, because he got like the truck now, and I just imagine in that version of 1985, like he's, he's cool. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like, so... Oh, going back to that other that other uh, the question before sure. from David. Yes. What if what if the the what if uh, uh, Elizabeth Shue Jennifer is Jennifer Beta? That's Jennifer that's Beta Marty. That's Jennifer Beta. Yeah, it's like Jennifer. And that's so when we go to the sequel, this is the only movie with Prime Marty. And then in the sequel, it's actually Beta Marty. It's Beta Marty's adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> maybe that's how that's how you describe it. That, that's how you do yeah. it. There so you go. prime so prime Jennifer is Claudia Wells. Right. And beta and then and then beta Jennifer is due to the butterfly effect for some weird reason. You know, because of George right. and Lorraine hooking up at prom, two people didn't or whatever, and now Jennifer Parker is Elizabeth Shue. Right. Cool. Right. Canon. Canon. Boom. We did, we did it. it. We fixed we figured we it fixed out. Fixed time travel. Um as far as as far as Marty's, uh... yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely you know look at Han Solo. Like, imagine if Nick Nolte had played Han Solo. Right. Sometimes right. there is like a perfect marriage of role and actor, where the actor kind of gives more life to the character than was on the page. Because I would definitely, I I I I think there is something to be said that on the page, the wrong actor could just see Marty as like, oh, he's he's nothing. There's no there's no blah. There's no bear. But for some reason, Michael J. Fox was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he yeah. just made it work. Yeah, because the only arc that they gave him in the movie, they cut out. Of the yeah, movie. yeah. Because, because the, the arc that they had for him was that he was too afraid because of being rejected at the at the Battle of the Bands. He was too afraid to send in his audition tape. Um, to the radio station or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, he sends it in because now he has like confidence to do it or whatever. Yeah. But they cut that part out of the movie. So now he doesn't have that arc. I love You're that. just meant to assume or whatever. And really the arc didn't make any sense because he's rejected again by the, by the people in 1955. So I don't know. But he has it's... the confidence of like, but your kids are going to love it. Right. That's F- true. Yeah. I don't know. He's just, I think, I think Marty's just Marty. 
And you know, it's almost kind of more realistic because, like, like, you know, sometimes your arc doesn't play out in a day. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah. He's just kind of. This is him just kind of being him for. But it is. But it is interesting that for a movie that is considered by pretty much everyone to have a perfect script that the main character doesn't really have an arc. I think it has more of a perfect, I think it's more perfect plot wise than character wise, because like, yeah, the characters are kind of static and and like we said, kind of animated in a way, in a way that like, you know, Squidward's never really going to change that much. Right. Um, Or the, you know, he, he could be like, I'm evil now, but he's not going to, he's not going to grow the way that like Ken Cosgrove grew over the course of six seasons. Um, so I guess maybe it's, it's like, you know, back to the future is perfect in the way that like, it's the perfect toy, you know, it's just such a, it's such a, it's a perfect ride. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. And I think that that, I think that's part of what, uh, what they, what their mission was with the sequels was that Doc and Marty don't really have arcs in this movie. Mm-hmm. The arc is about George, who isn't even a main character. So, well, George and and to a certain extent, Lorraine. You know what it is? It's kind of like um, Back to the Future is imagine if It's a Wonderful Life was about Clarence. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. But but yeah, so 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 I think that was one of their missions with the sequels is that they wanted the story to be more about Marty and Doc. So. You know, Back to the Future 2 becomes uh, – they, they tried to make it about Marty, but even that movie becomes about George anyway because George is the MacGuffin of the sequel mm-hmm. um, because it all it all becomes about like, you know, finding out what planet George is on. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, but you, you know, like saving him because, because Biff murdered him or whatever. But, but – uh, then the third one, the arc is really about Doc. So, I I mean, yeah, I, Marty never really gets like a really great solid arc. He just is going through this adventure. He's a Mary Sue. <laughs> He's kind of, kind of yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can't be because all he does is make mistakes. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> literally like that's. His, that's that's like ninety percent of his character. He's like he's like made of ninety percent mistakes. I'm a mistake. Um, <laughs> so they call me Marty Mistake McFly. Marty the Mistake McFly said my dad. <laughs> um. All right. So her next question is: uh, She says this movie has two editors, Artie Schmidt and Harry Karamidis, according to the <laughs> Harry Karamidis. Karamidis. I, I thought you were going um, to say Harry Carey. No. <laughs> that, would be, that, would be, that would be amazing if Harry Carey uh, had edited this movie. That would be pretty. I just did it. I edited the movie. It's like the perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but not Harry Carey. It's, it's Will, Will Ferrell as, as Harry Carey. Yeah. Um, I think that would be I think that would be my that would be my joke if I if I ever did a we ever did like a movie about the making of of Back to the Future. Yes. Um you get you get Will Ferrell to play Harry Karamidas and you just make him do Harry Carey the whole time. It'd be the stupidest joke of all time. It would be yeah, but it would be amazing. Have you, have um, you ever been to his Italian steakhouse in Chicago? I've seen it, but I've never gone. Quality. No. It's quality. It's really yeah, I took my parents. Oh, okay, nice. All right, so according to the B, for the to the BTTF visual history book, uh, Arthur Schmidt edited the first Twin Pines Mall parking lot sequence, mm-hmm. and Harry Karamidis Car- or Karamidis, my it is Midas because it's it's AS um, uh, edited the final Clock Tower sequence, and and she's just wondering if. We have any thoughts on how the two sequences compare in terms of editing style because she couldn't uh, decipher a difference or uh, what what do we think how each of these scenes were edited um, and how what, what do we think about how these scenes were edited and how the movie as a whole was edited? Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> um, so so let's start with 
Uh, I want to look at Arthur Schmidt. So we're in the credits, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a good time to talk about this. Um, so Arthur Schmidt, uh, Arthur Schmidt, one of the one of his first credits was Jaws two. Okay. Um, and then he went on to uh, direct Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future two and three, The Rocketeer, hey. Death Becomes Her. Uh, Adam's Family Values, Forrest Gump, The Birdcage, uh, Contact, Primary Colors. What solid American films on that list. Yeah. Castaway, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh. Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah, the best one. Yeah, the best one. So, so like, I can see, it feels to me, I mean, they're obviously, they both worked on, because uh, Harry Karamidas, he also worked on all three. Um, so they're a team and he, yeah, it seems like, well, no, it just seems like they're a team on these movies <laughs> uh, because they might have, they might just have different specialties because, all right, so let's look at, look at what, what Harry Karamidas has done. So, so he did, um, after, uh, let's see, trying to see before I'm not really seeing anything. Oh, he did the, nope. That's a TV movie. That's not the the actual movie. He did Children of the Corn right before Back to the Future. Hey, directed by uh, OCU faculty member Fritz Kirsch. Oh. Um, and then he did About Last Night right after Back to the Future. And then went on to do 2 and 3. And then did um, the movie Man, in the, Man of the House. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones. Um, so my happy that, no, no, no. Che- Chevy Chase. Oh. Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a Disney movie. Um, and then uh, Judge Dredd, the Sylvester Stallone version. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, First Kid, Beethoven's Third, uh, The Sandlot 2. Oh. So, like, he did – he didn't do that many – real that many things yeah. he also directed that terrible doc brown saves the world short on the latest back to the future set 30th anniversary so oh, he directed that no no he edited oh, okay. it yeah did i say directed i meant edited. um which surprises me because i don't remember there being any editing in that video i remember it just being one shot for some reason <laughs> so anyway um i would say Let's see. So Arthur did the uh, the opening sequence, the the Twin Pines Mall sequence. Yeah, and then Harry did the Clock Tower sequence. I mean, I think. I mean, not not for nothing, but like, I think of the two sequences, I think the more difficult one to pull off would be the Twin Pines Mall sequence, because you're only following one thing. Like it's very easy to cut between two things. I mean, yeah, you got to time it properly, and you got to give each one its due, and you, there's a rhythm to it and everything. But cutting between shots that make up one thing that's happening, one you know, in in the Twin Pines Mall, there's only one thing that's happening, sure. and then just you know, choosing the order of events. The, like how you how you're presenting the events in the uh, clock tower sequence. I feel like the clock tower sequence would be easier to edit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have no personal. I mean, I'm, unlike you, I have no personal experience editing film. Okay. So I can only like spec. I can only I can only speak from an audience point of view. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean, like there there is a definite like aesthetic to the, the the editing that you know it, it, it it's you know i mean it, it's clearly it's not noticeably the work of two different men you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's not like all of a sudden in the middle of like a very long shot all of a sudden it's taken three where there's like 19 takes of brian mills jumping over a fence right uh but yeah no i i, I would love to hear so do, do you have like a personal like preference or style when it comes to you because you know both of your short films are have you know in a kind of an edgar wrightian like sort of ironic way like set pieces sure yeah because uh, yeah and or and then in the the second one kind of yeah like or in the first one there is like set pieces but like what's your experience editing a chase as opposed to like two different characters trying to accomplish their goals i mean 
Because your movies have both. <sighs> yeah, the chase is diff- more difficult, I would say. The chase is more difficult because you have to – you're editing – you're trying to follow one story and you're trying to edit it in an exciting way. And the thing about it is like that, they're both really exciting, but I think that the clock tower has so much more emotion in it. Yeah. The clock tower has a lot of motion in it. You're getting like the, the very like the catharsis, the very, yeah, you're getting a lot of catharsis. Exactly. And not for nothing, but it's like, you take the, 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 you take the music out of that scene, and I think it's a lot less exciting. Yeah, like you, it, I mean, yeah. And the, whereas the whereas the Twin Pine Mall chase scene, if you took the music out of, I feel like it would maintain a lot of the excitement. Sure. Um, I I, I don't know. I think I do think that there's also a lot more movement and action happening in the in the mall sequence, mm-hmm. whereas on in the clock tower sequence, it's it's a lot of static shots mostly. It's like suspense. Yeah, it's suspense. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. W- I one, think one is an action scene and one is a suspense scene. Yeah, one's very Spielbergian and one's very almost kind of like a spoof of Hitchcockian. Yeah, I could see that. Sure. And yeah, and then there's also you know the kind of really lovely homages like to to Buster Keaton and, and Harold Lloyd. Yeah. I think that's I think that's I think that's true. I think that's what it is. Um, Next. All right. Well, uh, she also says you've talked about how BTTF is just a hug of a movie. And I was thinking about how easy it is to like all the characters. But you've also mentioned how cartoonish Marty is. And really every character here can be made into a caricature. Marty's falling all over the place and getting hit in the head and with doors. Biff, his ancestor slash his ancestors are getting buried in manure and can't get their catchphrases straight. Doc is dangling off clocks and setting his belongings on fire. Lorraine is acting absurdly lovey, and George is being George. Every single character in BTTF has some goofy aspect of them that they may not ever confront. It's just accepted, and that's what makes them them. It's what makes the audience love them. Even the bad guys, like Strickland, aren't that imposing, at least not in this part of the trilogy. (laughs) What are your thoughts? on this thoughts and opinions i agree yeah, yeah. no I, com- I agree completely I, I, I hate to bring this i didn't i didn't plan this but another thing that i think you know watching uh the short films that you directed and uh this movie is you both <laughs> like they, they both really have um a uniform to them like you know and, and i think this comes from like you kind of being like so into comic books but yeah like you you could draw your characters and there's this there's this story uh, I was thinking about the other day in regards to Back to the Future. Do you remember um, an evening with Kevin Smith too? Mm, that's the one in Canada. I think so, but I, I, I believe in in that one he tells a story where um, his daughter, when she was like a toddler, wanted to watch um, one of dad's one of his dad's movies. So he put on Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but he put it on mute. So, uh, so her, his daughter couldn't hear any of the bad words, and uh-huh. he he was telling the story about how the daughter loved it. The daughter was just laughing and, and laughing, and and he realized because like you know you take out the bad words and the and the you know the sexual content and the, you know that wonderful Kevin Smith stuff, it, that it is it is it is it's a Looney Tune. Yeah, like Jay and Silent Bob. You know, there's a whole like oh he's round and cuddly and fat and he's like lanky and sharp. And you know, and like, and like, the, the, they fart, and like, there's a there's a chimpanzee, and or no, it's an orangutan, and yeah, I think Back to the Future kind of plays the same way, where you could watch things on mute and or in another language, and it stuff carries over. Like I, right. I, I'm so excited to go. I might even do it today after we record this, but I'm so excited to see the new Stephen Chow movie, The Mermaid. Um, because I love, I love the movies of Stephen Chow. Uh, and if, if you guys, uh, are a fan of kind of the more cartoony, like slapsticky aspects of Back to the Future, Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer and Journey to the West are just, just masterpieces of, of that. And yeah, and I, I think it works. And I, I think the characters are broadly... 
human in the same way that, you know, like, you know, there's something intrinsic that we connect to with like Goofy or SpongeBob or like Finn the human, you know, mm-hmm. where, yeah, they might not be deep, comp, you know, character, you know, like I keep going back to Mad Men, but, you know, you look at, you know, Joan, that is a very nuanced, you know, human character. Sure. But, you know, you couldn't draw her. Yeah, not 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 without like picking out a specific outfit or whatever. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's I think, you know, what's funny is um, this this and the Cornetto trilogy are, are like my two favorite trilogies of all time. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that they had a similar energy to them. And for the longest time, I thought that it was because like when I think of Back to the Future, I think of it as this very like active movie and like I I kind of just thought that their camera work was probably similar but then watching Back to the Future minute by minute I realized that no it's not at all it's very static it's very static Mm -hmm. and 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 it seems that nothing about Zemeckis's directing style has changed or evolved that much other than his taste Mm -hmm. like I think he directs a movie the same you know I, I feel like if we really watched Flight you know, it it it's directed exactly the same as Back to the Future. The difference is that the characters aren't as big and cartoony. But then you compare Back to the Future to the movie that he just did, The Walk, mm-hmm. and it's and it's very much Back to the Future esque. And I think that's because the characters are cartoony again. Yeah, and like, the, but the shots are very static. You know, the shot would just be cut to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, cut to Ben right. Kingsley, cut to he Joseph lets, Gordon-Levitt. Cut to Ben Kingsley. Right. But those two characors are like, hey, you let me go to the door. I'll to go with that. Yeah, right, right, like, right. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that's I think that's one of the things that make the 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 cartoonish nature of these characters. It, it makes the movie so much fun to watch because flight is a lot of things, but it's not fun to watch. Um, it's it's a good movie, yeah. but it's not fun to watch. It's not a fun watch. And it's because, like, John Goodman excluded, there aren't really any cartoonish characters I, I, in I that I love movie. John Goodman in... Like, yeah, he's great. I love that he um, summons... The, he summons uh, uh, um, Sympathy for the Devil twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I, I think that's a big part of it. And, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, I think that that's... It's definitely something that's rubbed off on me because I, I don't think I've ever – someone's ever pointed out that my characters are like that. But it's right. I mean even Geek by Night, the characters you, – you can draw those characters and you don't even know what they look like. Yeah, yeah. You know? We, I, mean, I, I think we cast it. Like, like you know, Chris's voice sounds like Jeff Gibson. Like right, Just right. his voice creates shapes. And, right. you know, in the same with, uh, you know, uh, frickin' uh, Elliot. Like – you know, right. that guy's voice just create, you know, you just, you hear the character form. It's almost like that, you know, beautiful scene in Ratatouille where Remy's eating the food and he's seeing like jazz happen, you know? And it's, right, 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 right. Uh, it's so funny. Yeah. And I, 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 I want to, oh yeah, keep going. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was adorable. Um, but, you know, you're talking about how you remember Back to the Future and the Cornetto trilo- trilogy being like shot the same way. They're yeah. almost kind of like reverse of each other because if you think about, uh, like, and pick any scene in Shaun of the Dead. Like, uh-huh. Shaun is a very still static character, you know. And like, think about a the, but like, he's not really moving around a lot. Or like, the joke would be like, "Where are you going, Bob?" But that's hot fuzz. But it's like, you got, you know, you've got red on you. But the camera and everything else is doing so much. Right. But but it's but the weird thing is is that the two the two styles sort of meet in the middle because. In both cases, like in Back to the Future, the characters are cartoonish and active, and the in the camera still. Mm-hmm. And but then in the Cornetto movies, the char- the characters are cartoonish but still, and the camera is moving. Yeah, and they're they're card- and it's this weird balance so that you get a very similar experience watching both movies mm-hmm. because you know very I mean you know so many great artists have been able to like draw Sean and Nick Angel. And Gary King, and you know who each one of them is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually I have, um, I have those uh, those little like vinyl statue things. Oh yeah, uh, that are like the cartoonish 
versions of of like Sean and Ed and Nicholas Angel and Danny Butterman. So so um and I've got the Back to the Future ones on order of the, by the same nice. artist. So so you know, yeah, I, that's that's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the, there's a very similar sense to them i mean even even the same thing with scott pilgrim it's the same same deal you know yeah like you 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 see and it's a combination of performance and direction because you get actors that know what you're you know christopher lloyd spoke robert zemeckis's language whatever that was that was a complete marriage of style and performance and then if you go and you look like you know brie larson as envy adams knows exactly what she's doing right like Totally. Every, everyone in that movie. I mean, that movie is that movie. That's one of the best cast comedies of all time. I'm convinced. Uh, yeah. You know, to go on a to go on a rant. I was watching not a rant, but I was watching the Oscars the other night, and oh. they showed a trailer for Ten Cloverfield Lane, and mm-hmm. I was like, Hey, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, love her. Then yeah. it showed a, a trailer for The Family, uh, this new like ABC like soap opera with Joan Allen, yeah, which co-stars Allison Pill, and I'm like, Oh, Kim Pine, you know, way to go, Kim Pine. And then the Oscars were on. I'm like, I'm about to watch Brie Larson win an <laughs> Oscar. Yeah. And like, God, that that movie really, you know, you almost want to go back and look through it like a yearbook. Yeah, I know. No, totally. Absolutely. Because, I mean, even uh, that's even pre-Captain America Chris Pine, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's pre-Oscar uh, Anna Kendrick. Pre-Pitch Perfect Anna Kendrick. Yeah, and pre- um... Pre uh, uh, Ray Palmer, uh, 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 crap, Brandon Ralph. Yeah, yeah. So like they've all moved on to other things. Even it's Michael Sarah. And... The only, yeah, the, Michael Sarah is the only one that hasn't really done a whole lot since then. Yeah, he's he's like he's he's kind of chosen uh, quality over quantity. Where it's like I'm gonna do one weird thing. Yeah. Yeah, he really hasn't been in like another big studio project besides this is the end. Right, and that was minor. The only thing I can think of is Arrested Development. That's the only thing he's done since then. Yeah. Uh, Arrested Development season four. Um, okay, so right. moving on to um, her the, her last bit uh, of, of stuff. She says that um, when Biff misphrases something or Doc does his big gasps, why does it feel like the audience is laughing with them and not at them? How is this movie so well written? Will anything be this good again? Should we just give up now? <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Yep. Um, <laughs> no more movies. Yeah, no more movies. It's all it's all over. It's all over. <laughs> I think you're um, I think you're definitely you are kind of laughing at Doc, but you you love the character so much. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think you are. I, I think the difference is that you love the characters. I mean, that's, that's, that's the difference. Is like, yeah, like you're not. That's the problem with like a thing like Big Bang Theory, right? It's like no one is laughing with those characters. Everyone's laughing at them. Yeah. Like, what a, what a bunch of nerds. This so stupid. God, I'm so happy I'm not a nerd because then I'd be like these losers. And like, uh, you, that's not what's going on here. Even Biff, like. You love Biff, like you love him, yeah. Because he's 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 an awful, you know, attempted rapist monster. But he is interesting to look at. Like he's he's interesting and he's he's a fun bad guy yeah. to like. Watch. And Thomas Thomas Wilson is just clearly having so much fun playing this character. And right. Zemeckis, I love I love when it's so clear to me that filmmakers love their characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and I also think that there's there's also there's a subtle difference between Biff. I mean, everyone talks about the attempted rape scene of of Back to the Future. But but the important thing to note, and I I think the the reason that Back to the Future is such a good movie is he doesn't succeed. He's he's an attempted rapist like it never actually happens. Yeah. And, you know, because if it did, he would be a Game of Thrones character, not a back to the future character, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, that like finding that, like, you know, taking a character to the line, but not making them cross it, like crossing the line, having your characters cross the line doesn't make your show better. And and the kind of, you know, and, and, and this is kind of a, uh, a touchy subject, but the thing about the, uh, the attempted, you know, like the attempted rape is it, it doesn't break the rules of the movie. Like mm-hmm. earlier the, in this movie, we have seen like someone murdered, 
by uh-huh. by gunfire. And right. you know, like we've we, we like so we know that this is a a movie with life or death rules. Right. Even though it is kind of a cartoon, it's a movie that takes death seriously. And so when you know something similar, you know, when when the rape is like, you know, when he goes into Lorraine's car and whatnot, it it doesn't break like the oh what the what 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 why is this happening? Because even if we don't know it, we have just seen a person murdered and shot right with real guns right. and real bullets. And I, right. I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna try and have the conversation of like comparing the two, but it is in the same ballpark of a of a movie. Right. Like, it's not like in the middle of Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, like Paul Blart's daughter is like has her throat slit. Right. And I mean and and that's the thing, right? You gun a guy down in the first act of the movie, and then that allows you to do this attempted rape thing, but not have it cross that line because you already crossed the line earlier. So because you crossed the line early, earlier, the audience will be like, Oh no, is this this is where he's gonna rape her, but he's not going to. Yeah. And and you, you don't have to because you already killed the guy earlier, yeah. so you don't ever have to cross a line. And I think it's very important that in that scene, you're, you are, the POV, the character that you are sympathizing with or connected to is Lorraine. Right. And she's fighting. Yeah. yeah. And it's not because it's not, you know, because right. like, I, I just saw this movie the other day. I was I saw I saw Kickboxer for the first time with uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And it was I was having a great time. It was Jean-Claude was a great entertainer and the choreography is great. It's so goofy and fun. And it Uh it knows exactly what it is in a weird way. Like and I was just having a good time. I'm like, I can I'm loving this. And then there's this horrible turn where, you know, you've seen it a hundred times. Like the bad guy finds out that the good guy has a girlfriend and he the, the, the villain of the movie like kidnaps Jean-Claude's girlfriend and rapes her and then but it's all about like this will show Jean-Claude Van Damme and the girlfriend's like no now this will affect Jean-Claude Van Damme in the fight because he'll be worried about me being raped and and I was like oh my god this is awful and you know it was like 1988 and it was the time and it was the filmmakers and whatever um I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you know I'm you know we're outraged now whatever uh the past is the past but it that I like how this didn't happen in Back to the Future. Like this was about Lorraine. It wasn't about Marty. It wasn't about George. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why that moment. I think that moment gets the desired effect from the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You're like no, I think <laughs> I think you're totally right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what it all comes down to is that we're not laughing. We're, we we are laughing at them, but we love them, you know. So that means we're laughing well, you know, with the, them. You know, something you said that because so, it's not it's not coming from a it's not coming from a mean place. Are are laughing at well, them? Well, something that you said that is so true here, I think, is we're seeing all of these characters through the eyes of Marty. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing his mom and dad the way Marty sees his mom and dad, which is like and Doc and Doc, which is like ah, oh, these guys are such weirdos, but I love them. Right, because like we we know that Marty loves his mom and dad, right? He's, he doesn't even think like, oh, I have to fix that. I mean, it's a little bit about himself, but he almost <laughs> grows to love his parents through this adventure. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's his arc. Yeah, maybe that that is his arc. Like He's like seeing, getting like appreciate learning to appreciate his parents, like seeing them as real people. Yeah, like, these aren't just things that oh, dad didn't. The dad broke the car. Now I'm screwed. Mom right. won't let me date Jennifer. And now he's like, oh, these are real people with problems and maybe I can help them now. Right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's 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 uh, Haley's email. So thanks for that, Haley. And I think that's going to be this episode. It's um, a long one. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. Um so if you we'll be back we'll be back tomorrow with minute 115 yeah but in the meantime if you'd like to go on our website back to the future minute.com email us at contact at back to the future minute.com like all these good people did tweet us at bttf minute if you want to tweet at us or you want to share us some school stuff on tumblr i beg your pardon and uh <laughs> on tumblr we tumble uh with the best of them at bttf minute.tumblr.com <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we meet a lot of cool people on on Tumblr. Um, 
and uh, Facebook. You can be our, you can like us. You can thumbs up us on Facebook. Uh, leave us reviews on iTunes. It's the coolest way to help us out. And if we get 50 reviews by April 1st, is it, Scott? Yep, April 1st, 50 written reviews. 50 written reviews. Not just our reviews, but actually it could be a sentence. It could be a word. 50 five-star reviews, written reviews. We will come back with season two of this show. We'll recover Back to the Future Part 2 in April as opposed to June. Right. So Exactly. April 18th, to be specific. Yeah, April. we will turn April 18th. Uh, yep. So The Doctor's Companion is our other podcast where we talk about uh, Doctor Who. Just yesterday, we talked about uh, the greatest thing I've ever seen, uh, the fourth, uh, the first fourth Doctor Adventure robot. Yep. And uh, Geek by Night, which is your favorite podcast. You just don't know it yet. Uh, episode five uh, just came out. Episode six should be out soon. And uh, it's great. It's fun. It's very much inspired by our love of Zemeckis and Back to the Future and the, and Edgar Wright and all the stuff that we talked about today. Uh, this is almost mm-hmm. kind of like a mini episode of Not Writing, Scott. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, our other... Only that we're answering emails and we don't do that on that, right? Yes, so. yeah. Uh, and then our other podcasts in the family, the, uh, the Syndicate, the Avengers, uh, Star Wars Minute, Goodfellas Minute, and now uh, Jaws Minute. And uh, we wish them all the best of luck and the best of fortunes. And we... Star Wars Minute is Captain America. Goodfellas Minute is Thor. Jaws Minute is Hawkeye. Does that make us... Yeah, we're we're Iron Man. We're Iron Man. Okay, we're Iron Man. All right, we'll see you tomorrow at minute one fifteen. Bye.